Hey, howdy. Uh, welcome back to the Reverse Sellouts podcast, a podcast about the realities of life as an artist in America. As always, I'm your host, Sam Fian. Uh, on this week's episode, I spoke to Seattle-based glass sculptor Dan Friday uh, about life in the hot shop. Uh, we talked about a lot of things, including uh, the way Dan's heritage impacts his work today. He's indigenous, uh, allow me to be specific. Uh, we talked about the niche he's carved out for himself in the industry and uh, the life that Glass potentially saved him from living. Uh, I had a great time talking to Dan, and I hope you enjoy our conversation as much as I did. You know, I've always been somebody, not a great illustrator, but I always, you know, we didn't have a TV growing up. Uh, so mm-hmm. I was, you know, started making comic books and, you know, basically drawing Garfield and all the other superheroes in my childhood. And that kind of, you know, we, uh, you know, ceramics, I think was like kind of the first like void, you know, where I'm really kind of getting used to sculpture and kind of finding, uh, you know, getting some results, you know, and I, you know, like I said, we didn't have a TV growing up. So for my grandma to sit down and, you know, play clay with us or, you know, just hours, an hour's drawing, you know, I didn't really, you know, it's not like a formal art education, but just, just getting used to working with your hands and like trusting your, your mark and your stroke. And, uh, you know, there was a time and then I went to alternative schooling, you know, so they're kind of leaned heavy into arts and there was a ceramics studio at the alternative school, University Heights I went to. And from there, the, the principal, at an, again, it's alternative school, so it's kind of out there. It got me mm-hmm. a scholarship to uh, kind of a fancy pants art school in Seattle called the Northwest School. And, uh, you know, it was one of those things where I was on the latchkey lunch card program. It was way above our pay grade, you know, I had a single mom, but uh, getting into the school, uh, I got a full scholarship. So I was able to go. And, you know, I, that was kind of the exposure. It kind of was like, I mean, fame or something you know not fame but you know one of those schools where people are dancing in the halls all the time and it was almost almost a little bit of a culture shock for me I'm like I mean I don't know is this what I do I don't know if I fit in here all the way either uh but you know that's you know I've just always been leaned towards the arts and spent the time to you know my mom was you know a big supporter of the arts and just uh you know just kind of I guess exposure too you know it's like you make it you do it you know not everybody has to make artwork to appreciate art, but I kind of, you delve in both and, mm-hmm. you know, and so I just kind of started doing it again, like it, it, in school and my buddies, you know, you kind of draw to that crowd and, you know, as a skateboarder, a lot of the other guys were, you know, from similar backgrounds. Um, when it came time to graduate high school though, just the pragmatic, you know, like, oh, I'm going to be an artist when I grow up just seems really unfeasible. <laughs> I, uh, you know, I went to trade school. I kind of opted out of my senior year of high school and mm-hmm. I wasn't doing a whole lot curriculum wise in high school, you know, I basically just go meet up with my buds and, you know, do drugs and <laughs> all that, you know, it was just a yeah. kind of a thing. And, you know, I ended up going to trade school and working on cars. I had a tow truck when I was 16. So I was pretty independent. You know, again, I had a single mom and I had kind of one fo- one foot kind of you know I wouldn't say I was on the streets or I had a bad home you know but I was out I was kind of a wild 
wild one. And so I had my foot out the door pretty early and, and, uh, got messed up. I had a colorful, colorful group of people I ran with and, uh, it just didn't, you know, art seemed so far away. And then I, I ran into a friend, somebody randomly, I, you know, stopped by to drop off a bag of dope or whatever. And, mm -hmm. uh, his mom worked at a, a glass factory in Seattle and, uh, I was like, man, I just, I was like, what, you guys need a job? I, I just, what I, what drew me to glass was it was so, uh, you know, it's such a hands-on thing and there was like a mechanical aspect to it. You didn't, I mean, it wasn't all just, I mean, there was so much work to it. You know, there was such like a measurable result. Like you either did it or you didn't, it either worked out or it didn't. And yeah. I mean, there was so like the burners, the equipment, the, the flame, you know, it, so I got a job as a technician at the, the factory and that was just an easy fit. You know, I'm like, it's pretty simple combustion. Yeah. So, you know, it was just a, a it was a, that was a pretty smooth transition to, to be in a glass shop technician from a mechanic. Cause it was pretty, you know, it's add a few things as far as refract, refractory and chemistry. And then, you know, I went to the Pilchuck glass school shortly after getting that job in a factory and then to meet so many working living artists, uh, that were, I mean, I just said, it was just a, another door that was open. I, when I started at the factory, I was like, well, I'll just make these gift store items and figure out what it is I want to do. And, you know, kind of, I was entertained, but, uh, going to Pilch, I kind of really opened up my eyes to a, a global glass community. And that was, that was really a big eye opener too. I was about 21 when that happened. Yeah. You've worked with some, uh, some massive names I was, I was seeing on your website. Um, was that through, through that schooling there or was that later on? Yeah. Well, through the school and just, again, just the proximity of Seattle, you know, after about mm -hmm. 40, four years, three or four years, uh, kind of doing the circuit, I call it the Seattle shuffle, you know, <laughs> working for this artist, working for that artist, right. like, you know, doing side jobs, pouring concrete on the weekend, uh, moonlighting at a bar, you know, and, and just all the while just trying to stay involved in the glass. I mean, there was, uh, you know, I got a job working for Dale Chihuly in about 2000. And, uh, and that was just a big name. And, you know, you, you know, I was still kind of unaware. I, I was largely not from the, you know, I didn't have a college degree to speak of at all, let alone an art degree where you know kind of a lot of these names. And right. But I, I could tell there was something going on. It was one of those things I had to like shut down my grow house and kind of quit selling dope and like quit running around with criminals. <laughs> and like, <laughs> I was like, you know what? I really got an opportunity here. Don't fuck this up. And, you know, I, I can still manage to fuck things up pretty good by myself. But I, I just kind of gave all that shit a rest for a while and really kind of... Uh, immersed myself in and it's hard to see that you know this is what i tell guys that are really young especially too it's like it is unfeasible and you're never going to get you're not going to see all the steps that somebody takes to get further down the road where they are um and like in my 20s i could donate my time you know like i could like oh shit lino's in town i'm gonna go swing doors for free uh this guy i don't know it turns out he's a big deal, I guess. Some Italian dude, you know, or whatever. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> Year, years later, it's like, oh, shit, I, that opportunity changes your life in a lot of ways. You just don't know. And it's it's a lot easier to, to, to invest that time when you're young. And it's easy to make mistakes. And, uh, 
you know, you're not playing for keeps. Whereas like if I had just got out of school, art school and I'm like 28 and I've maybe got a girlfriend, wife, and we may be pregnant and like, now I'm going to go take a bunch of risks. That gets a little harder. Now I'm in my thirties. It's like, people are like telling you, you need a 401k and you got to do all X, X, Y, and Z to, to, to have a job. It's, I just, I would just encourage people to go big when they're young, you know what I mean? Like to really, to those investments early are, are big. Um, yeah. You know, cause I couldn't, I, I couldn't do a lot of what I do. Again, I feel real fortunate just because of the, the, the place I was in to do it, but just, you know, I wouldn't even say it's wisdom. You know, I mean, I, I sure fucked a lot of things up, even though I like hung up the, the, the growing and the, the car gypsy slash criminal life. I, I could still get myself into trouble. I got, you know, DUIs and I still would party with these hooligans on the weekend. And, you know, I got locked up here and there. And it's actually about 12 years ago I, is when I got sober. So I've been doing this for 25 years. So let's just say like after this fast forward from that first four years and I started working at Dale, I spent 10 years just fucking off you know, like getting loaded, working all these great opportunities. I'm like, Oh man, I'm, I'm working in Seattle. Uh, it wasn't until I really kind of got clean that I was like, okay. I mean, I, I had some, I had a foundation, even though it was like, I totally, you know, I had to like re mend all the bridges I burned and, uh, do all that sort of stuff. But it, it wasn't until I got clean that I was like, Oh man, you you're fortunate to have the pieces left you do to do something with. Uh, uh, there's a I don't know if you're familiar with. Uh, anyway, I'll just say my story. Uh, Fran James or Aunt Fran is uh, Chief Salit's uh, mother of who Chief Salit recently passed away last year, uh, a little over right at the beginning of this. And uh, but his mom, Fran James, was was really like instrumental in me, kind of taken that like that plunge that you know and it's of like you know hey you got to find your own way you know it's like yeah you work for all these hot shots but what do you do you know like what are you yeah. doing with yourself and you know you again encouraging me to like hurry up and make those mistakes and it's like i mean it's intimidating too especially nothing's worse than having some experience and like still not knowing what you're doing you know like oh man what are you know you just feel like you're mistakes are so much more on front street but you just gotta like you know i suck it up and i'm kind of like trying to figure out who i am when i'm clean and sober too you know i've had a hard yeah you know absolutely. pretty in, into the drugs and drinking and uh you know that whole that that skid scene that i was in and uh it uh you know it, that she was really big and, and it was at the right time you know and i like i said i, I would just say you know i turn it over to fate like a lot of the times that when you're out there turning over rocks trying to find out who you are you can't really like if you try and curate everything uh that comes across your plate or you know you have all these plans it's like sometimes just letting go and just like you know letting some things happen to you too and you know or actually listening to some, taking some people's advice for a chance that a change that was never like a, a strong point of mind too it wasn't like i didn't know I didn't have plenty of people telling me what to do, but uh, when I finally kind of let things kind of take shape their, themselves without trying to, to force everything or be in control is when they really kind of started to gel for me. Yeah, definitely. 
Well, congrats on 12 years, man. I mean, that's that's super impressive. Um, yeah, shit. You know, super cliche, one day at a time, you know? Oh, no, yeah. I hear you, man. Yeah. I hear you for sure. Um, oh, I'll throw Oh, sorry, what was it? Oh, okay, yeah. Sorry, I'm getting a little bit of a little lag thing there, but I think it's good now. Yeah, um, I'm curious, uh, how quick were you to, uh, you know, w once you started getting on this process of, of defining yourself within Glass, you know, how quickly, or maybe you already were, but how quickly were you um, kind of engaging culturally with it, you know, what I, um, and kind of turning it over to that side of your, of your life? Well, and that's, again, that's that meeting with Fran mm -hmm. uh, up, at her, up at her house was like, you know, in, in some of my early work, I made these, you know, and I had delved into it a little bit, but it wasn't really like the, the breadth of my work. Um, you know, I made some, some mechanic inspired, you know, some gears, some mechanical inspired things at first. Uh, and then there's a whole 4,000 years of glass tradition things. And it's like, uh, you know, I had to get those out of the way. I had to go make goblets and then I had to make some, you know, the quintessential, it, like it's such a skill builder thing too. It's like learning how to play some of the classics on a guitar. I'll always use the music analogy just because they overlay so well with each right. other. Uh, it's like glass. It's like, you've got to get your chops with the instrument first uh, before you can even start to find your voice. So you know, I may have had some chops after 12 years, but I just really wasn't making work that spoke to me, you know, or I didn't feel inspired, you know, I didn't like, you know, once the floodgates are open, you're like, God, I can't make it. There's just never enough time. What did I fucking do? Waste so much time doing. Uh, I think, yeah, culturally, when I kind of delved into that, you know, I've, uh, you know, my great grandfather, Joseph Falaire, or Quilquot, uh, was a pretty, prominent coast salish totem pole carver yeah absolutely. um Huge and he's uh, yeah he he's you know he's a uh, and just you know especially his story too you know he carved some totem poles for the world's fair our sister city in kobe japan and he just you know his legacy was largely like i mean he was he was super unconventional at his time you know there was this at the time when he was doing it in the late 1800s, early 1900s, he, you know, it was like blasphemy to use a chainsaw. And it's like, right. now it's just really common practice for anybody that's a totem carver. It's like, you don't spend, uh, you know, just the way he did things. He wasn't, you know, it, it, his, his work was pretty contemporary and conventional. There's really early to adopt other methods of doing it. And, uh, you know, he was a big cultural purveyor too. He really helped bridge the gap uh you know i mean there's between the the people that were settling here and the the cities he was i wouldn't say an ambassador or maybe not and he wouldn't say that but he was really big at re reaching out and doing kind of working in both worlds he was uh, largely instrumental in uh the the natives being able to be unionized work with the unions and then mm -hmm. in the early early fishing uh, industries too. And, uh, you know, he's just a big inspiration on so many levels too. And it's, uh, you know, I, I feel his, you know, and he's somebody who was dead before I was born, but his story that I've known well, just as, you know, it's well documented and, and within our family, just his, you know, just march to the beat of your own drum. You know, there's, there's always going to be people that aren't, uh, you know, I mean, you're not going to please everybody, but that's, that's not who, 
at the end of the day, you got to sleep with, you got to, you know, be at, be at peace with yourself and, and, uh, you know, just, you know, try things. And, you know, I'm not saying to go haphazardly, you know, breaking all the breaking, breaking, burning it all down. But, you know, it's, you know, you, 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 you know, it's, it's, I mean, art is like not another cliche. It's just so introspective. The whole journey as an artist, it takes a lot of guts to make mistakes publicly or stick yourself out there. And it doesn't seem like much when you're just saying about it, but man, so many people are just crippled by the fear of like, what will other people say? Or, or that doesn't look like how I, you know what I mean? Like it's at some point, you know, it, I mean, it, a deadline is a real thing too. You know, so many artists are like, well, it's not done, but just fucking I have to do something, you know? And I mean, that's, and maybe that's when you just kind of are turning it over. It's like the work takes on a life of its own and you may learn something from that. It may change the course of it. And uh, I mean, it's for something that can be so personally rewarding or frustrating. It's, it, it, it's one of those things that you're, I mean, it, I feel like artists are really lucky or they benefit a lot from the, their process. Um, mm. I, I'd say in glass particularly, I mean, I've learned how to work with other people in a way that I would have never, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm real keen on collaborating with other artists, particularly other native artists who might not have access to glass or, you know, or helping them realize their designs in glass. Um, I mean, the thing, again, back to the band analogy, I'll just beat that up because it's like, yeah, yeah. first you got to spend, you know, five years learning how to strum the chords till you can make something that you like. Um, you know, in glass, it was like I said, literally 12 years. And then I'm working with a crew every time, you know, and it's mm. not like I just disappear into a studio uh, in my basement. I've got my tea going. I turn on the radio. Glass is such a, like a state, you know, we've all got to be there at 730. And hey, bro, you can't be too hungover, man, because I'm spending big chips today. And we're all going to work on this piece. And although it's my design, it's largely a collaboration in the construction like you really count on people to be there to hit the rhythm and then like you need to be on time and in sync and all four of us could screw this piece up and you know start over and you could just basically break glass for eight hours of the day and have spent thousands of dollars so that like that part right there is just mind-numbing for people that are like but i'm a painter and i just like when i'm tired i just walk away for an hour and come back and it's like glass it's like it's like a fucking fire drill, you know, yeah, like yeah, we all going to be there at seven 30 in the morning and everybody, you know, and then like once the floodgates are open, you're just like, you're not done until it's done. And that's it. You really uh, have to become a better communicator. And that's, I would credit that largely to my, I mean, if you want things to work and you don't want to be like a fucking raging asshole with the people you work with, you, <laughs> you got to learn to use your words and have compassion and you're going to get carried away uh, because it's hot and you're physically burning like, oh, fuck. And, you know, it's it, emotions. I mean, we're all sensitive people at the end of the day, even the biggest like, you know, I mean, even the most centered human is like, <laughs> you know, I mean, we're all dealing with emotions. And uh, so I, that's something that I think is just amazing about glass that so many people don't see that, uh, you know, maybe appreciate the stuff publicly or commercially uh, like what goes into it. And I think a lot of glassmakers 
the part that is so one of the parts that's so precious to us is the behind the scenes, just that teamwork, that uh, choreography, um, yeah, that just being in harmony with the band and kind of like, wow, that went well, man. Like we didn't have to do there wasn't too many audibles, no mistakes. And if everything goes well, we're talking about like what's for lunch or how the game was last night or, you know, how are your kids? And, you know, that's in a perfect world. But then there's the chaos when everything goes wrong. And then overcoming that together is a super reward as well. So, uh, Absolutely. yeah, I can't, you know, yeah, I'm, you, as you can tell, I'm completely, <laughs> and I, I still love doing it. And I think yeah. that I, especially in this, this crazy time when a lot of people are like, what do I do? Am I a gardener and I don't have a job and everybody's COVID isolated. And I, I feel fortunate to have securely found a hob or a passion, some sort of thing that I'm, I'm really passionate about. And it has its days, you know, this is, I'm, I'm just giving you the sunny side of the thing, but it, it's one of those things, you know, yeah, yeah, like absolutely. all relationships. Is, um, yeah. is Washington state, I mean, I'm sure that must just be a, one of the better places to, for the glass community in general. Um, oh, it, it, well, that's again, like I, I wouldn't be where I am without this community yeah. and it, it's largely even on a global level, the studio art class movement is largely centralized in Seattle, particularly Washington. There's like Corning, which is uh, undeniable. It's like one of the greatest museums and corporate mm -hmm. art connections there. I mean, scientifically, they create every cell phone uh, screen in the world. Right. Uh, the and then there's like Ohio. Ohio is like kind of the birth of, of where a lot of this started in the college universities. But I guess uh, like more largely just the studio art class movement, the ability for an independent artist to uh, be able to work with glass that just is relatively new to the last, you know, just within, you know, people's lifetimes. Like a lot of times the greatest craftsmen in the, the factory in Murano in Venice or, you know, they weren't necessarily the designer. They're just kind of fabricating the designs that came down from, more established or you know designers artists architects and uh the overlap of that is, is is largely the american studio art class movement and a lot of that is is really influenced by the the pilchuck experience and that that uh sharing uh atmosphere of it When you're working on a piece um, in that kind of that American studio glass mindset, um, you know, who are you working on it for? Is it is it like commission or just personal? Like I have a vision. I yeah. Realize this. Or... Well, and you know, there's, gosh, there's, you know, and, and Dale Chihuly, like again, has has been working for him. Is that's one of those apprenticeships. Like I couldn't pay for this experience. You know what I mean? Like having to work for him or Paul Marioni is another one of uh, a huge mentor of mine, Preston Singletary. I mean, there's a couple generations of, you know, Billy Morris. There's, everyone has a little bit different of a practice. Some people are making work for pedestals. Some people are making work for museums. Some people are making work for sale for say, you know, like today's, you know, or it's a holiday sale or whatever. I mean, there's all different levels. Uh, like Paul or, or Paul Marioni or Dale were making stuff like installation, huge scales. We're talking cranes and literally like thousands of pounds of glass installed. Um, so I, you know, I guess with my own work, you know, I have 
in more recent years that my, my, my biggest success has been galleries. Um, and that's the work that you, you know, you think about it as marketable work, but it, again, I, I feel really comfortable with that, that I, it, I'm really proud of the place I've, you know, you got to make so many duds to get to where you're making work that you're a hundred percent. Like I, I said about that, just kind of sometimes a deadline will make you kick some stuff out that you is either for a show or a commission. Commissions are a little different. Um, I do some of that. Uh, the gallery work I've had a fair amount of success in. Uh, I'm working on my largest museum show to date. Uh, that opens July 3rd oh, at the museum of, yeah, thank you, at the Museum of Northwest Art in LaConnor, Washington. And that's a huge step for me because, you know, going to museums, uh, you know, again, it's not like it's, you're going away. I mean, I mean, we all want to make stunning and amazing work, right? But then when you're making work for a gallery, it's got to speak to someone else besides you, right? Because mm -hmm. if it's for sale, that's the idea. Um, but again, with my museum work, uh, there's a piece I had that got the People's Choice Award at the Bellevue Art Museum last year is kind of based on uh, Coast Salish uh, reef net fishing. Yeah, and uh, you know that those are big. It's a huge installation with woven nets and glass anchors and a school of glass salmon kind of swimming through it. It kind of extends down a hallway, and uh, doing that kind of work is 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 just a different. You know, there's diff different moving parts, and uh, I'm really so for my museum show. It kind of gives you this one coming up. It gives you a little more leeway to experiment with something that may not ever be sold or you may be telling a narrative or i mean i can't speak to what other people's art work is but i you know for, for sure. my myself i those are some of the things i turn to uh when i make my stuff and uh the museum of northwest art i mean just the physical size this is like i said this is a big milestone for my career and being able to uh make these large-scale installations that are not that retail space just doesn't exist for you to play and or and then exhibit it you know it's like i could set this up in my studio but then who sees it you know and so it, it, that's just kind of a, for me it's the next level and uh is that the thing you know you the places working in uh, you know yeah well i just it, it is really exciting you know yeah. and uh you know i you know and i have like i said i've done commissions that's usually more what a commission looks like for me more is i'll have a conversation about a piece that i have made previously and uh, along the lines, maybe I'll do some sketching about something similarly. Uh, these these more like I wouldn't say corporate art, but you know, uh, Paul Marioni. He's uh, again a, a big mentor of mine. His you know I, I learned a lot from uh, you know being a, a teaching assistant while he would teach his cl classes, kind of based on it. And it's you know there's one percent for art for any of these mega buildings, and the bigger the building, the bigger one percent is. And uh, you know and I think that's kind of new to to get some of these large scale glass installations. And again, that's another, you know, uh, I mean, Dale's really kind of cornered the market on that. Yeah, and um, uh, so, you know, just trying to think bigger, you know, because uh, most things that are made in the glass hot shop, I mean, they had they max out. Like you can make something four feet long, but it's really skinny. Or you can make something wide, but like about two foot square cube is what as big as most things get. I mean, unless you're Dale and it's just busting out of the seams everywhere, uh, you know, just out of feasibility. Uh, but then like 
the, the being able to make componentry and make multiples of something uh, that allows the sculptures to get quite a bit bigger. And, and what Paul does is like glass casting and uh, he'll do these really ornate tiles and, you know, just figuring out how to get these bigger 1% jobs uh, for corporate spaces. And, you know, I've, I've worked on a, I've had a few of those uh, recently. I did one for the university at, at uh, Washington state university. And then I had another one at a, at a, a center down in Olympia, down in the state capital. Uh, you know, I've, those have mostly been around the salmon schools. There've been a school of fish, um, but there, there's just so many other log logistics that go into to putting stuff in a, a physical public space, as opposed to the niche of a gallery retail scene. Commissions are different. Museums are a little different. And uh, I mean, I'm still kind of exploring all those. I mean, I, I definitely am by no means, you know, figured any of it out 100%. Yeah. And, um, this museum show that's coming up is so big that I, I mean, I, I just really had to curate, you know, aside from my large scale installations, I, I ended up curating a bunch of, uh, Coast Salish weavers too, to display because it's really great sort of, uh, you know, I think with all the three dimensional pedestal size sculpture stuff that I'll have going on, mm -hmm. uh, there'll be a lot of open walls, like two dimensional wall space where some of these rugs and shawls and, uh, the real, I mean, I, I'm really inspired by, by the weavers and their work, uh, even all the way back to Aunt Fran. And, uh, you know, I have a basket series that I right, yeah. started, started kind of shortly after she passed away. Unfortunately, she never got to see that, but, uh, you know, I, I, I am, you know, that the matriarchs and the weavers, I mean, they're large culture bearers of our, uh, our, our community too. And, uh, you know, a lot of, I mean, a lot of these things were almost lost, not to mention the languages and uh, a lot of these practices. I just had a show with uh, Ed Carrier on Bainbridge Island out here. And I mean, I have this museum show coming up. So I've been so busy. I'm like, I can't do another show. And she's like, well, it would be with Ed Carrier. I'm like, I'll be there right away. <laughs> can't believe it's like, uh, you know, what are you getting to show with one of your heroes? Um, you know, because mm -hmm. these people, when they're gone and when our elders are gone, uh, they take a lot with them, you know, and there's, there's so many, I mean, there's so much that has already been lost so much. I mean, undocumented things. And you scratch just when you scratch a little bit about the, just how much was lost, uh, you know, these treaties, this about the culture of these languages. there's so many things that were just not even recorded that are just gone forever. You know, and there'll be no understanding of the medicines, uh, how you know how these people read the you know and I, I say just personally i think that's why the, this this pathway that my work has has taken uh my work pardon me has taken is i mean it's it's such a great connection to my ancestors for me i mean when i'm weaving these nets and i'm making the cedar bark rope uh i mean it's just that's all these people must have been doing you know my ancestors that you know it gives me pride and uh even more of a reverence i mean like to live that way and i'm sure if you were to ask them you could go back in time they're like this is just how we live this is just how we do it but it's right. like god we've got things so i mean <laughs> we've got things so I, I mean here i'm talking to you on my phone across the globe possibly yeah, exactly you know exactly. if i want to know that this this the cube weight of a square foot of lead i can just google that i mean just 
the thing that these guys what time what what is the moon in like just yeah. and what these and that's what these people did to survive uh it, it just uh that connection t- to me is uh those are the things that people don't see about my work that just make it so bona fide for me that i'm just i mean i'm committed to doing it that i'm really passionate about learning the history of the the people here um and people elsewhere too you know that you know the native cultures i've been studying i was really fortunate to study in aotearoa uh or new zealand is more commonly known uh with a pacific rim indigenous group uh that i first met at the evergreen longhouse at a at evergreen state college in olympia washington um but working with a longhouse and being able to meet all these maori artists and tahitian artists and hawaiian artists and coral triangle and working with all these people has uh oh man it's just really you know i mean we indigenous people around the world and just these these cultures of of people that were artists before you needed a degree you know before i had to ask right. permission to like you know like will you sign off on this and it's like am I, it's interesting because i mean i I mean, I've taught at the University of Washington. I've taught, uh, you know, at the collegiate level of art and glass. And, uh, you know, I, I wouldn't, I just, I would say it's not for everybody because that's not my path. I can't speak to how many degrees you need to be till you feel comfortable to represent yourself, you know? Sure. And uh, I would say I've seen a lot of artists get their, you know, it's like my sister went to, she, you know, is also a glass artist. And I'd be really remiss if I didn't bring her up because we've, shared this path together it's a kind of a cool story i guess i'll just go ahead because we're telling stories right please, now yeah, please as uh my sister you know so i got the job at the glass factory you know and i nobody had any high hope. i mean i was like had my foot on the streets and i was fucking low level hooligan criminal to say the least and i called home to talk to my mom and i'm like uh you know my sister answered the phone she's younger uh but wiser in so many ways i'm like hey let me talk to mom she's like and she's like, she's coming. And so we just are kind of talking for a second. I'm like, oh, I got a job at a glass shop. And she's like, oh, you fucker. I've been doing that for two years, work study at Pratt. And I just can't figure out a way to do it. And so I ended up getting her a job at the factory. And, uh, you know, we, she still works in the glass industry today too. And it's, it's one of those things where as siblings, we share that. And uh, I mean, it's just one of those, when I found glass, it's like this, like I grew an inch taller, I like to say just because it was this huge way. I mean, I knew I was here to stay. People would have to take it away from me to, to not be able to do it anymore. And it, it you know, just working with her and, and, and these, these, you know, have, being able to share this journey. I might not know my sister as well if we didn't have this endeavor that we shared. So I, I feel really grateful for that. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. That's beautiful, man. I mean, uh, it's kind of, uh, it kind of keeps with that all in the family thing between yeah. uh, is is like there are a lot of um like the generation above you do they do any sort of like sculptural stuff as well i mean it sounds like you got pretty much uh, consistent uh, yeah artistic lineage there yeah there's definitely a lot of artists in my family and you know i think again that's what i was saying about the tribal program i mean there's so many artists right. that like would never i would i mean my work doesn't so it's interesting for me to curate this show uh, I mean, I'm, I guess I'll just go out there and say this, even though it's being recorded. I don't know that I'll ever offer the fucking curate a show again, but <laughs> it is an incredible opportunity. I'm just so, uh, 
I'm pretty overwhelmed with my own work and this deadline of the show, even though it's mm-hmm. months away. Class, it takes a while to manifest it. Um, and, and, and there's, but reaching out, there's just so many artists that like, man, I don't even, you know, I don't show my work. The gallery's not my thing, or I wouldn't even know where to start uh, with a glass career. Uh, you know, cause maybe the, I'd say there's more tools now than ever, like having an Instagram re- account, but I'm, especially when I'm talking to like elders, you know, like Ed Carrier doesn't have a phone, man. And, yeah. and these people I'm trying to curate for the show, it's like, I mean, part of my, part of, I'd say my success or, or whatever it is, is that I kind of have my foot in, you know, I grew up without a computer largely, but I know that you got to return an email to make business happen these days. And you got to like follow through that way. And, and it, it's not for everybody. I'm not saying that that's not the way it is, but there are so many more tools that uh, allow artists to kind of be out there and be seen if that's what they even want to do. Um, and so curating these shows uh, or even I'd say, uh, yeah, it's just, it's different, you know, curating this thing is, you know, it, I'm like, God, your work is amazing and people need to see it. It can't just be in your living room. Can we get it in the gallery? And I'm like, uh, I mean, I can't make you do it, but I really think you should. And, and then I got to ask myself, who is it for? Is it for me? I mean, do it, do I, if they don't want to, that that's, that's cool too. Um, but, you know, as I work with the, these youth groups, you know, I've worked with the Hilltop uh, program quite a bit in Tacoma and uh, you know, that was, Hilltop Tacoma used to be a different place when that opened. That was the murder capital of the world there for a while. And, uh, you know, gang violence is back in the 90s. Um, It's come a long way since its inception. And but even still and working with the tribal youth academy, Lummi Youth Academy uh, of my tribe and uh, working with uh, at risk youth programs. And it's like a lot of times glass. It's like it's hard to see that, like, I don't know if this is. I feel like I'm not trying to sell it. You know, I mean, I feel like glass is a great material because it kind of, it gets you out of yourself. You really need to be in the moment and be paying attention. There's the whole teamwork aspect that, that goes along with it. But at the end of the day, as I'm trying to, to fill up this, uh, the program, I uh, started with my sister at the Pilchuck glass school. It's like, Hey, I'm your cousin, Danny. Why don't you come up to the Pilchuck glass school for a week and, uh, blow, learn how to blow glass for, or have a glass blowing experience. And, uh, you know, they feed you and you got a place to stay and like, trust me, it's, it's cool. You know, it's, it's yeah. one of those things where it's it not, uh, as I'm, I'm figuring out how to navigate, you know, reaching out to the, you know, especially if they're like at risk communities or, uh, you know, I, I don't know that art saves everybody, but I could tell you that it definitely saved me. Uh, you know, I just didn't even think it was possible to, you know, I mean, I got to be honestly, I mean, truth be told, I make a living doing this, so I'm incentivized to do it. But it, it like I said, in so many levels, it really uh, allowed me to trust other people and kind of venture out of my own social group that I had, you know, that I was kind of raised in, you know, like uh, it, it showed me a lot of the, I mean, I've traveled all over the world doing this, you know, Asia, Europe, uh, you know, it, New Zealand, you know, Mexico. I mean, I've just worked all over and I just, a lot of these, a lot of the travel that I've had, I mean, travel is one of those things that it's just underrated. I mean, there's, everybody knows about the working up schooling abroad and 
that's just not available to everybody. Yeah. But I mean, it's got to be almost worse a semester in college to just go live in a place where they don't speak your language, where like your thoughts aren't easily communicatable mm -hmm. and you're like, you might not be as funny as you think you are, you know, like <laughs> that's one of the things like, so you can choke out a few words to find the bathroom and order some food. It's like, do you even have a sense of humor in another language or does it trans, you know, I think that that's such a valuable thing. Uh, that's it for this week on the reverse sods um, massive thank you to dan friday for speaking with me and also thank you to you the listener for sticking out to the end until the next one uh, i'm sam Fiat.